Welcome back to Held and Healed. This podcast is a resource filled with resources to help you on your healing journey, especially for women who are rebuilding their lives after abuse and for the people in their lives who want to learn to know better and do better. I invite you to scroll back through previous episodes and look at titles and see which ones are relevant to your situation or relevant to what may be a friend, a family member, a coworker, or someone from church may be experiencing because you will find so many tools and tips and practical application as well as resources for helping you to support a survivor. And it's been a while since I have had a chance to come on and do an episode. I had a guest lined up recently and just because of some stuff that was going on in my life personally, we had to reschedule, but I am going to do the very best that I can to continue bringing you content while at the same time being gentle with myself in this current state that I find myself. So if you um, have listened to previous episodes, you know that my word for this year is gentle and to be kind to myself, treat myself as I would a good, loving, safe, and trusted friend. And I'm getting lots, excuse me, while I wake up, I'm getting lots of opportunities to practice that concept and to be gentle and compassionate with myself. So again, do I think the year itself is going to be kind and gentle? No. But my goal is to be kind with myself and to just speak to myself the way that I would someone else. And if I wouldn't say it to a dear friend, then I shouldn't say it to myself. So that is um, just kind of a reminder to you wherever you are today in being gentle to yourself. I remind you to go to my website, heatherelizabeth.com, and check on the offerings that are there, especially, especially, especially the 2023 video retreats about the nervous system, rest, regulate, reset. If you have not taken advantage of that, please, please do not delay. There's so much content there. And I've had people tell me that they learned more in those six hours of content than they have years in therapy. This is not to say it's a substitution for therapy by any means, but there are so many therapists who are not helping people learn to regulate their nervous system. And they also are not necessarily trauma-informed or abuse-informed. And so I'm just asking you to take a long, hard look at what your therapy is offering you. And if your therapist is not at a very baseline trauma-informed, and trained, abuse-informed and trained, and nervous system-informed and trained, then I encourage you to find someone who is at just a base level. Um, it's time to throw away the old books about theory and exclusively using talk therapy and learn some new modalities to help people progress through their trauma and get to the other side. So you deserve that. You deserve someone who is going to really give you tools to progress and not stay stuck. You don't need to be uh, paying them every single week or every single month for years on end and staying in the same place. That that means something isn't working and you get to go find something that is going to work. And um, I encourage you to also go to honorprojectmovement.org and give a donation of any amount, $5, $50, $500, whatever it is that you have to give, because we have a lot of projects right now 
where we have survivors that we want to bless, but we need the resources. Resources are very, very limited right now. And so that means that we're limited in how many people we can help and how many ways that we can help. But with your donation, if this podcast or the Held and Held group has been a blessing to you and you'd like to give back, that's a wonderful place to do so. We currently are wanting to bless a couple of mamas with grocery showers and we need the funds to do that. So go, excuse me, go to honorprojectmovement.org, click on the um, donate tab, and that will give you a fee-free and um, a tax-free. So you get your receipt and we get the donation and no taxes are taken out. And we have some other projects coming up. We just did a little Galentine's night um, for a couple of our local survivors and we're able to give them some gifts. We have some really fun things planned for Mother's Day to honor these mamas, to help them feel seen and loved and pampered a little bit on Mother's Day. And then, of course, we are always looking for treasures to put away to bless at our Christmas blessing, our Christmas gathering at the end of the year. So... I have all kinds of donations and I watch for sales to just stretch our money as far as possible so that we can help as many moms and kids as possible at Christmas. So today I am going note free, which could be um, a mistake. If I forget a lot of things, I'll just do a, a second part to this because this is a topic that is on my heart and I've been wanting to speak to this for a while and I'm finally taking the time to do it. And This is the idea of not forcing or pushing our religious practices, rituals onto other people. And I can't stress enough how important it is to get this so that we are not continuing to do harm to survivors especially survivors of spiritual abuse. So many, many women in my life are survivors of domestic violence. And our group is now almost 4,000. As soon as I get to um, looking at the request of people that want to come in, it will probably hit 4,000 mark um, as soon as I get around to that. And many, most in that group are survivors of domestic violence, but almost all I would say like 90% of that group are survivors of spiritual abuse. So maybe their marriages are not necessarily destructive or abusive, but they have endured spiritual trauma, spiritual abuse. So just a basic understanding of what spiritual abuse is and what that looks like. Is it someone taking spiritual concepts, religious, you know, ideals and practices and using those to maintain some sort of power and control over you, to manipulate you? to um, just take concepts in the Bible and pick them out and set them apart from the Bible as a whole. We call this cherry picking. And then using those verses and those concepts to manipulate you, control you, get you to do things that maybe you don't want to do. It's also um, used to keep you um, under someone It's used to um, just appeal and to, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, and I may lose my words because that happens sometimes, because this, they may know that you are a good and a moral and an ethical person. And so 
They're going to come at you and use concepts, principles, and practices to get you to do what they want you to do. Either beliefs that they have or beliefs that they know that you have or a little bit of both. And a pastor or a spiritual leader, someone who's in authority over you, there are certain expectations that the Bible has, that the Word has, and that God has for those leaders. And we shouldn't expect um, just bare minimum because the word does say to whom much is given, much is required. It also has criteria. It has um, laid out certain specifics of what a person in leadership, what's required of them. And yet you will hear over and over and over again. Oh, no church is perfect. Oh, no person is perfect. Oh, no pastor is perfect. And we're not asking for perfection. We are asking for a sense of humility We're asking for a teachable spirit. We're asking for a servant heart. We're asking for someone to exemplify the things that Jesus exemplified. I will tell you right here, right now, there is a lot about the Bible that is very confusing to me. And the reason is, is that things have been taken out of context, original language, original culture, and they've been tried to force them into our current modern Western way of thinking. And it just doesn't make sense. If you don't look at the Bible and look at who it was written to, look at the time period it was written, and look at the original language that it has been translated and mistranslated so many times over to get to the English translation that we now read, you're missing so much. And so basically what I say right now is I've had to take a break. I've had to take a break from even reading the Bible because so much of it was used to harm me and so much of it was used to hold me captive to very, very dangerous people at home and at church. But what I am choosing to focus on at this stage of my life and forevermore is Jesus, who he was when he walked this earth, how he treated people, how he loved people, how he spoke to people, and I want my life to emulate his example. That's all that I actually know right now. There's so much I don't understand, and I would not sit and debate with people um, for long periods of time because I just admit that there's very little that I really, really, truly feel like I understand and that I could just dig my feet in and say, okay, this is where I come out on this issue. But Jesus... The example of Jesus and how he loved and how he reached out to the ones that his culture told him to stay away from, how he had deep compassion for the ones that no one else would touch or speak to, and then how strongly, sternly he spoke to those who abused. That's all that I know right now. I want to follow his example. I love Jesus and I do believe that he is the son of God. And I do believe that salvation comes through confession of him and no other way that we, we need Jesus. I wrote a poem years ago, Jesus, he's enough. And I've actually gone back and I've read that and I'm a little bit embarrassed For salvation, Jesus is all we need. Yes, absolutely. Jesus is all we need. But for life 
and sustaining life. We need food. We need water. We need shelter. We need safety. We need clothing. So I'm even going back and rethinking some of the things that I have put out there into the world. This poem that I have distributed to hundreds of people by now. For salvation, Jesus is enough. Absolutely. But we need connection. We need community. We need other people. And he created us for that need. And so I no longer just go around and blanket statements say, Jesus is all I need. For salvation, yes, Jesus is all I need. But for life and the sustaining of life, we need a whole lot of other elements. And that's okay. And he created us that way. And it's okay. He needed those things when he was on this earth. He needed shelter. He needed food. He needed clothing. He needed water. And what I want to do today is just challenge you that if you are still someone who is attending traditional church and practicing the rituals of the Christian faith, that is your privilege. That is your choice. But to force those things upon other people who have been harmed is another form of abuse. And let me explain this, okay? When you know that someone has been harmed, and maybe you don't know somebody's full story yet, but why don't we go ahead and assume at this point that a large percentage of people who walk around any given day who are around us have been harmed by the church. Let's just go ahead. Let's go ahead and just assume that at the rate that we are seeing people leave institutional religion, that a lot of those people have been deeply hurt, wounded by the church. They've either been hurt inside of the church and or they've been hurt outside of the church and they brought that harm to their leaders thinking their leaders were equipped, thinking their leaders had compassion, thinking their leaders had training and would help them and they've basically been told to keep the abuse to themselves, to uh, just sweep it under the rug and move on. We have high, high numbers of abuse that are happening inside of church religious institutions. If you do not believe me, just watch the news, just watch the headlines. A really good person to follow who is exposing this stuff every single week is Julie Royce. And remember that statistically, very few people are ever caught and convicted. So for everyone that she's writing a story on, there are potentially hundreds of others who are never going to be caught and never going to be convicted. That's sobering. So we know now that abuse is rampant in faith communities. Maybe that is not your story, but it is the story of countless people around the world. Around the world. And so it is way past time for us to know better and do better regarding people in general. So when you are having a conversation with someone and maybe they in the past were part of your church or part of another church and now they no longer are, the two elements that would be very beneficial to approach this with are curiosity and compassion. Become curious, not in a nosy sense, not in a sense that you want all the gory details, but become curious in that 
you know, I know you used to go to such and such a place and you no longer do. Do you feel comfortable telling me why? Maybe they will not feel comfortable. And if they don't, then let it go. Just let it go. And, you know, say, I understand that you're not ready to talk about that. And maybe you'll never be ready to talk about it. But if at some point you want to, I'm here and I promise to hold what you share in confidence and then make sure you do that. The compassion comes in when they do start to tell you details. What do you do with that? Do you give them a shocked look? Do you give them a holier than thou response? Do you start quoting Bible verses at them? Do you say, we're told not to forsake the gathering, et cetera, et cetera. Do not, please do not do that. Compassion comes in and says, I am so sorry that that happened to you. And I can understand why you may never want to darken the doorstep of a church again. I can't even tell you what that would mean to me to have someone outside the survivor community say those words to me. I am so sorry that happened to you. I believe you. You didn't deserve that. And I can understand if you never want to darken the doorstep of a church again. Or I can see why you may not want to ever darken the doorstep of a church again. These are responses that will cause a survivor to feel seen, validated, and not condemned. Don't keep inviting a survivor of spiritual abuse into your spiritual religious places. Give them a break. Give them space. Allow them breathing room. Help them to know that you see them, that you love them. Also understand that moving away from those spaces does not mean that they have given up on God or they have forsaken God or they have renounced their faith. Some do. And they need the same curiosity and compassion. They need that. They deserve that. They're worthy of that. The reality is, is that when people are running away from God, it is usually because something very, very traumatic was done in his name. And they believe he was responsible. And they believe that he endorsed that and that he okayed that just because he gives people free will. And we need to give people the space to wrestle with that and to grieve that and to get angry about that. Because free will is a really hard concept for people to grasp. If God is all-knowing and all-powerful, why didn't he stop this? It's a legitimate question, and we need to let people ask these questions. God gets it. He understands it. He gives space and he gives room. He saw everything that happened to that person that brought them to the point. Don't you think that we can let him be their judge? And we don't need to be their judge or their jury. So refrain from inviting them into your spaces. I know Easter's around the corner. I used to be that person. And this is my disclaimer. Anything that I share here is probably because I've messed this up at some point. Anything that I say don't do is probably something in the past that I've done and I thought I was doing the right thing. 
in evangelical conservative fundamental spaces, we are basically taught that it is our responsibility to save the world. And what we're doing in that quest is we are forgetting that Jesus died once and for all. He died to save the world. His salvation on the cross was the once and for all sacrifice. We don't have to lay down our lives and literally die to save anyone. Jesus already did that. Are we supposed to represent him well? Be his hands and feet and his heart and be kind and good to people? Of course. But we are not called to save anyone. Jesus already did that. And so I can just rest in knowing that Jesus has paid that price. He has done that. I can live my life exemplifying his love, his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness, the fruit of the spirit to other people. If they see something that they're drawn to and that they want to learn more about, I will be very happy to tell them. But I am so done going out believing that it is Heather's responsibility to save the whole world. Or it's Heather's responsibility to be a bridge back to a specific institution. Never, never, never was that what I was called to do. So give people a break. Stop inviting them into those. If you know that they have good reason to not want to attend traditional church right now, stop inviting them. Just give them a break. It makes them uncomfortable. Instead, be a part of their lives. Support them in tangible ways. If they are DV survivors, a lot of them are single moms and they are overwhelmed. Show up with a meal. Show up with a gift card for groceries. Offer to help with a chore or a task around the house or in the yard that she just can't tackle on her own. There are so many ways to represent Jesus and to be the church to people without ever inviting them into a building. Do not offer to pray for someone without asking permission or don't don't just assume someone wants you to pray for them. This is a big one. Quite honestly, there are people that I don't want praying for me because their prayers are manipulations and their prayers are coercions and some people pray and I know I've done this without realizing I was doing this. Some people pray to basically get their opinions across to people. When we pray, we should be praying blessings. We should be praying the heart of God. We should be praying as a communication between us and God. It is never meant to be a genie in the bottle that we're telling God how to do his job. It's never meant to be an opportunity to spiritually and religiously manipulate people into doing what we want them to do. Oh God, would you please convict so-and-so of such and such when so-and-so is right there in front of us? That is, oh my gosh, that is spiritual abuse 101. Father, would you wrap your arms around so-and-so and love her? Would you let her know that you see her? Would you let her know that you care about her? Please provide for the needs that she has. Please protect her. We can use prayer as a way to bless, not as a way to curse. If someone says that they do not want you to pray for them, respect that. 
Don't assume that everybody wants that. Some people do. Some people are craving that. Some people will melt and weep when you offer to pray for them. But make sure if you do that you are being like Jesus and you're offering compassion and kindness and good stuff and not using it as a way to manipulate and preach at someone. If I do pray during a Facebook Live inside of Held and Healed or during a coaching session or something of that nature, I always preface it with, I'm about to pray. If that is hard for you, triggering for you, or not safe for you, just mute and come back when I'm finished. pretty simple. Give them the choice, the option to opt out. Let's talk about how, and and this, I mean, this could be a whole episode in and of itself, but let's just do a very simple suggestion. If you are a spiritual leader and you are in a space where you are opening up a service or a gathering of some sort, a small group, here is something that the survivor space would appreciate. Start out your services. This could take a minute or less. This is not something that is rocket science or it's going to take up your whole entire allotted time for your sermon, okay? Please consider this. If you're a pastor, if you're a ministry leader, if you're a small group leader, please consider doing this at the start. And if somebody else comes in late, maybe mention it again in the middle or at the end. Say something along the lines of, we understand that everyone who is here today is coming from a different place. Some of you may be experiencing harm in your home or have experienced it in church. If at any point anything that we do or say is unsettling or uncomfortable, triggering, you are welcome to get up and walk out. Go get some fresh air. Give yourself a break. You do not have to do anything during the service or this gathering that you don't feel comfortable doing. And at the end, if you would like to approach me or one of the other leaders and explain why something was harmful or hurtful, we welcome that feedback and we will listen. How hard was that? How complicated was that? Now, could you possibly be opening yourself up to learn a whole lot of things about a whole lot of people? Are you ready for that? If you're saying come and share and we're not going to judge you and we're going to listen to you and we're going to consider how these actions affect others and you in the future, then please follow through with that. But I can tell you that if I were in a space where I was not expected to do everything that was happening, if I wasn't expected to stand when they said stand, some people can't physically stand. Some people do not have physical strength to stand. And I've been in church settings where I felt condemned just because I couldn't stand up. If leadership had said, we invite you to stand, but if you do not physically or emotionally have the strength to stand today, it is okay for you to sit. Come on, how difficult is this? (laughs) This is not rocket science, but this is seeing people and this is understanding people and this is helping people to feel safer in a space where everybody's doing certain things. 
We want you to be free to raise your hands in worship. We want you to be free to kneel to worship if you feel comfortable doing that, if you want to do that. If you do not feel comfortable doing that, there's no judgment. There's no condemnation. If you don't have the physical strength or ability to do those things, we want you to still feel safe here. Some people cannot get down on the ground and kneel. Some people cannot physically raise their hands. It doesn't mean they're hard-hearted or bitter. There may be a song that someone begins to sing that takes that survivor back to a very traumatic place and time. Everybody else in the room may love that song and that song may bless them and that song may comfort them. But to that one person who's sitting there, that song may be a reminder of a horrific thing that happened. Give people room and give people space to weep if they need to weep, to walk out if they need to walk out, to explain this is why I could not do that and then offer them pure compassion and say, I am so sorry. You're not saying that you're never going to sing that song again. You're not saying you're never going to do that thing again. But you're saying, I see you and I can see why that was hard. And if you need to walk out every time that song comes up, there's no judgment. Now for the survivor, it is important for us to learn how to deal with our trauma. And when we are dysregulated, how to expand the window of tolerance so that we're able to endure some things that maybe we couldn't put up with and endure a year ago. I encourage you to do that. Work through that with your therapist. Take that to your therapist and say, we were in a service the other day. This song came on. I don't want to have to walk out every single time. How do I learn to increase my window of tolerance? Or maybe your therapist will be like, it's okay to walk out every time. That's really honestly up to you to decide what is best. So it is okay for you to have your religious rituals and the things that you do that bring you comfort. It is not okay to force those things upon other people. It is not okay to assume that just because someone was there with you and stood beside you in the past singing songs, lifting their hands, shouting hallelujah, that they are still in that same place. It is not okay to judge or condemn someone for saying, I just can't do that. Or I'm questioning why I did that in the past. We want real, authentic We want to be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And so much of what happens in churches on Sunday mornings is a show. I will say that. I have been a part of the Pentecostal movement. I've been a part of more traditional church denominations. I've been a part of things that are kind of a blending of the two where they have got one, you know, one foot in tradition and more reverent worship and one foot in, well, we want to be relevant and we want to be upbeat and we want to have this. I've experienced such a wide 
variety. If you haven't heard my story, you can go back into the 70s, somewhere in those episodes. And I have four parts, I believe, of why I no longer feel safe in church. And I explain how I am a potpourri. I'm a melting pot of all types of denominations. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. I have experienced things that will make you think that horror movies are tame compared to some of the weird things that I've experienced within churches. I no longer feel safe attending church. That's my story. I was in a setting um, not so long ago where I was supporting a young person in my life and went to an event of hers. I was introduced to somebody else that she knew. And when this person found out where I used to attend church, um, the next question just came out is, where do you go to church? Actually, I don't even think we had talked about that yet. She just assumed I went to church. Where do you go to church? Okay, first of all, don't do that. Don't. Don't just assume that someone does attend church regardless. If you want to ask, maybe a better way to ask is, are you currently a part of a local faith community? Don't assume that someone goes to church, okay? And I said, oh, I don't. I don't. And her jaw dropped. She had this look of absolute shock. And I felt like I was two inches tall. Okay, don't do that. Don't look shocked if someone says they don't go to church. Don't look shocked if someone says they don't want to go to church. Do not look shocked if someone says they're not sure if they believe in God any longer. Soften your expression to one of curiosity, one of compassion. And try to understand why. Chances are they didn't just get there overnight. Chances are it wasn't something really tiny. Chances are that they have experienced something really, really grueling. So don't assume. Don't assume. Invite people into your life, into your space. Find practical ways to be the hands, the feet, the heart. Look at Acts 2 and what the New Testament church looked like and ask yourself, is our church actually doing any of these things? Most churches aren't. If you are a survivor, I just want to speak to you for a moment. And I want to say, salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If you still claim Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you do not have to ever do a spiritual practice or something that society expects you to do, to be loved by him, to be honored by him, to be cared for by him. He loves you and he, he saw it all. He heard it all. He knows it all. And you do not have to attend church to be saved. You do not have to read your Bible to be saved. You do not have to sing certain songs to be saved. If you need to take a step away from church attendance, Bible reading, 
Christian song singing, praying, any of the rituals of the Christian faith. If you need to take a step back to heal, to grow, to learn, he understands. If you are like me and you say there are more things about the Bible that I don't understand and I don't get than what I do, it's okay. It's okay. There are people all over the world who come to salvation who never have the Bible. It is not a requirement that you read the Bible to know Jesus. Is there a lot of good stuff in the Bible? Absolutely. But is there a lot of stuff that has been mistranslated, taken out of context, used to as a weapon to harm other people? Absolutely. And I can promise you that the God of the word, his heart breaks when his word is used as a weapon. If you need to walk out of any setting where you feel unsafe at any time, including a church service, you are a person. You are a grown woman. You have autonomy. You have choice. You do not have to remain anywhere that you're being harmed. Anywhere that you're being overlooked. Anywhere that you are being made less than. If you're attending an institution that does not care about women, does not care about the oppressed, does not take a stand against abusers, I strongly encourage you to get out. Because you can exit an abusive marriage, but if you remain in an abusive church, your growth and your healing will be stunted. I'm hearing people say that churches that are safer exist. And that's a different topic for a different day, whether or not they truly exist and what it looks like for those churches, what they need to be doing to become safer. But if abusers are welcome and sheep are being preyed upon by wolves, it's not a safe church. Get out. Get out. Your heavenly father loves you and he wants you to be safe and well. That is true about your marriage and that is true about every other area of your life. He wants you to be safe and well. If you have a pastor who is more concerned about his platform being adored by people, having yes men and yes women, never having anyone question them, and when abuse is brought to his attention, he wants to cover it up, he wants to excuse it, he wants to minimize it, you're not in a safe place. If you're attending a church that has and allows convicted sex offenders to be there, you're not in a safe church. You may not even know that your church allows that, but some churches allow it with a secret covenant and a chaperone. It's not safe. If you have brought to your pastor's attention the harm and the abuse that's happening in your home, and they are encouraging you and your abuser to do some type of counseling together, you're not in a safe church. If they are forcing reconciliation and not looking at the steps of repentance, 
if they're putting their responsibility on you as the victim and not on the abuser, you're not in a safe church. Go back and listen to my episode with Tom Bride about what repentance actually looks like. It takes years, years to actually walk this out. And yet churches are sending women back into dangerous situations days or weeks after an incident. That's not a safe church. If you're in a church that is putting guilt and pressure on you to put money into the offering on Sunday morning and you do not have the means right now to provide basic necessities for yourself and your children, you're not in a safe church. Tithing was an Old Testament concept. It was always meant to take care of God's people, period. It was not meant to make one person wealthy over everybody else in the congregation. It was not meant to build big fancy buildings. It was meant to make sure that the body, the people within the body, the people of God had their basic needs met. The New Testament says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. That's it. That's it. And these churches that take the widow's might and take the widow's might and take the widow's might and build these big facilities and prop up these leaders with more money than the average person within the congregation is making, there is not balance there and that's not okay. If you're in a church that puts pressure and guilt on you to be there multiple times a week or you are not good enough, you're not in a safe church. You are a survivor. You are probably a single mother. You are probably working one, two, or three jobs. You have children who need you. You do not need to be volunteering and being in services multiple times a week to honor God. He understands the pressure you're under to take care of yourself and your children. And he's not putting guilt on you to be at church multiple times a week. These are just a few examples of what spiritual abuse looks like. I've given many, many more examples if you go back and listen to previous episodes. You can grow in your faith and you can feel a closeness to Jesus without doing all of these things and jumping through all of these hoops. Jesus is my best friend, my confidant, my companion, my, I can talk to him like I talk to any person that I feel safe with. And I just do it throughout the day. I don't spend three or four hours in prayer. I just talk to him throughout the day. I can get behind the wheel of my car and I can start driving and I'm just having a conversation, just pouring my heart out. Like I would to my best friend, my therapist. I'm saying it like it is. I'm not using fancy words. I'm not using big words. He already knows. He already knows what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, everything that I've experienced. I don't have to fake it with him. I don't have to say things I don't believe. I don't have to prop him up. So back to the person who loves the survivor, who wants to know better and do better. Love her. 
offer tangible help with tangible things. Be consistent in that. It's okay to have boundaries. If you can't show up every single week with a meal, that's fine. Show up once a month with a meal. If you can't take a phone call every single week, say, you know what? The second and fourth Saturday morning of the month, I've got 30 minutes. Talk to me. Let me know how you're doing. If she doesn't feel comfortable leaving her kids with you, understand that she maybe has gone through some hard things and those kids have been through some hard things and she's figuring out who she can trust. And don't be offended by that. Just say, I understand that boundary. And I respect you as a mother protecting your kiddo. Instead of putting money in the offering plate at church, go get a gift card for groceries, for gas. That woman probably needs that way, 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 way more than that church needs that. Say something like, I understand that prayer may not be something you're comfortable with, but if at any point you would like me to pray with you, please let me know. And I promise that if you tell me something I've prayed or something I've said was hurtful or harmful, that I will do my best to not repeat that. I want to know better. I want to do better. Come at it with humility. Come at it with an openness that says, I know I've done some things in the past. I probably meant well, but now I can see where that was harmful and I'm sorry and I want to know better and I want to do better. I hope this has been helpful. Don't assume that everybody goes to church. Don't assume that everybody serves God or Jesus in the ways that you do. Don't assume that everyone's faith looks exactly like yours. But do understand that a lot of people who will never walk through the doors of a church again do love Jesus. Do want to honor him. Do have the fruits of the Spirit in their lives. And honor them for that. Applaud them for that. Support them. And if you meet someone who says, I just don't even know about this Jesus thing. I just don't even know about this God thing. I want nothing to do with it. Love, honor, support them as well. Don't force your beliefs upon them. Say, I understand that some really bad things have been done to you in the name of God. And I'm so sorry. And I will not be one more person that forces that on you. Let me close this with prayer. And again, if that is hard for you, just end here. Father, I do come to you this morning and I lift up the survivors, the beautiful, precious lambs who have been horrifically harmed in your name. God, I pray for your comfort today to reach out and to surround and embrace these dear lambs. 
I ask God for a deeper, newer revelation of who you really are. That somehow they could separate you from the ones who did horrible things in your name. I ask that you be the God of justice and that you bring truth to light. That those who are using your name to abuse others would be brought and called to justice. Would be removed from positions of authority so they could not go on harming others. I pray for the ones who don't even know who you are or believe that you are who you say you are, that you comfort them, you heal them, you provide for them, you protect them. I ask for the ones who truly want to learn to know better and do better and surround and support survivors that you lead them towards resources that will help them and train them, equip them. Pray that you would rebuild the system. You would just bring down all the corruption. Thank you for the ones who are exposing it. Pray that darkness will be brought to light and that any system that is being propped up by humans, by abusers, would be brought to the ground. And that only, only those organizations that truly love you and truly want to serve others would, would stand and that the rest would be exposed for what they are. It would be shut down. And that the true church, the true extension of who you are, would rise like never before and it's going to look different I believe than it has looked for a long time I pray for us to return to what the early church exemplified to come together in unity, love support, to break bread to support one another to make sure that everyone's basic needs were being met to have discussions and open the word and, and talk and have conversations and not just one person telling everybody else what to believe. Bring us back to that. Revive us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this was encouraging and helpful. I hope that survivors feel seen. And I hope that helpers will truly know better and do better. And I pray today that you will feel held even as you are being healed. Blessings.